Thank you for joining us in the copy room, where you get to listen in on thoughtful, vulnerable, and honest conversations among educators who are as fiercely devoted to this profession as you are. My aim is to serve you well, nourishing your teacher's soul so that you can move through your week with just a bit more to offer our kids than you had before you listened. You're working so hard to take care of our kids. My intention for this podcast, ultimately, is to take care of you. I want to thank Dirt Path Publishing, a small independent publishing house dedicated to publishing works for social good, for continuing to support the production of this podcast. With editing and coaching services for writers, these folks know how to have the hard conversations in service to your best work, and they know how to do it with love. Dirt Path Publishing is also proud to announce the release of my new book, Nothing's Missing, A Year of Reckoning, Release, and Remembering Who I Am, written for anyone struggling to release the burdens of perfectionism and the tyranny of shoulds. For more information, go to NicoleLuciani.com. In the meantime, and always, welcome to the copy room. Sam Bradbury and I go back to 1986, when he was 16 and I was 14, and we were high school sweethearts. He had a tender heart, a soul who longed to plan roots, and a home of origin who didn't prepare him for either. Nowhere around him could he find a force to stabilize him long enough to grow into himself, and so he blew with the wind from one family to another, one job to another, one life to another. He was safe and loved in my home and in the home of a few other good friends. But it wasn't until he became a teacher that he found a reason to grow roots. And it wasn't until he found his family that he knew where to plant them. Sam came to teaching as a second career guy. In this episode, you'll hear why he left a successful career in retail to become a special education teacher and how his seeds were planted decades before by his teachers, who believed in him when very few others did. Sam and I parted as sweethearts after he graduated from high school, but we've remained family ever since. He is among the greatest gifts in my life, and I'm so happy to get to share him with you. My mom took him in as her own when we were kids, teaching me in no uncertain terms that there was no such thing as other people's children. He's moved through his career as a teacher with that same ethic, knowing for sure that we belong to one another. Welcome to my very good friend, Sam Bradbury, who I love and have invited on the show for this season because I know he's got some teachers in his past who've inspired him. Welcome. Good afternoon. It's it's a good really... Afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here, and um, I'm really grateful uh, that you invited me into your fold here and uh, to talk about, you know, just teachers that have inspired us and, you know, just to be part of a conversation with you. I always enjoy that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we wouldn't have gotten much further without you. So a little backstory for the listeners. Sam and I have known each other for hmm, 30, 30 seven, 36 years, at least 35. We met when I was 13 and I'm going to be 49. So there you go. Um, I am 49. I'm not going to be 49. Um, so we were high school sweethearts and, uh, then we went our separate ways and, um, 
and somehow ended up both back in the classroom. And so let's start with a little backstory because your relationship with school, I think, maybe has been mixed. Um, and I'm curious about how your experience with school has informed, first of all, you wanting to be in the profession, and secondly, um, you know, the way you kind of think about teaching and um, just in general. So, so tell us about how, how you got here. What was your experience in school like? Well, first I have to say, um, you know, I wasn't sure before I came on how we were going to handle our past. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because, um, yeah, I, I, you know, it was something that I was thinking about. And so, yeah, we have known each other for a long time. And um, um, I, you know, I hope folks know that I really kind of I consider you family. Um, mm -hmm. and very fortunate to, you know, be able to circle back around and have you in my life. Um, but anyways, I'm glad you mm -hmm. handled that. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit and I was thinking about, you know, just growing up, um, for better or for worse, I, mean, I had kind of a single mom, um, with, you know, in, 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 in bad relationships and school was always just really kind of an escape for me. Um, you know, I, I was really fortunate that my mom put us in a great school. We used an address for my cousin, um, a fantastic elementary school in Oakland, Sequoia Elementary School, um, founded in 1926. Um, mm. I can still see that engraved on the big pillars outside. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it was, I think through that experience with my teachers, I found that. Um, my relationships with them really were strong. And I think a lot of those folks there, especially Mrs. Gertler, my third grade teacher, um, who was very like vociferous, just a crazy reader. And she just mm -hmm. really kind of instilled this love of books for me. But the other piece I was thinking about her is just her holding me accountable. Um, mm -hmm. And I remember distinctly a book report puppet show that I was supposed to do for Elmer and the Dragon. And, um, true to form, I procrastinated and, uh, I was kind of lying <laughs> to my mom and saying I didn't have anything to do. And, um, she, Mrs. Gertler called because she was concerned that I wasn't there mm. and she, she blew up the whole plan. And so, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but the thing about Mrs. Gertler, I rem I remember her for things like that and her giving me an extra chance and also her taking a personal interest in me. I remember speaking with her after school and her checking in with me. She was a little, you know, I don't know what she saw if she was a little bit concerned or, you know, I also went to school, I had, you know, it was a mostly white school and I come from a biracial family. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was another layer. I think that's right when my sister started kindergarten and I don't know which, you know, back then I didn't really have the wherewithal to know what she was getting at. But as I look back, I think it was just one of her ways to check in with me to make sure that I was okay. And she was always, mm -hmm. you know, asking me questions about how I was. Um, and when I, you know, I, I also think my, my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Egan, who is very similar, and he just kind of saw that I was um, looking for something. And it just, you know, I was, I was kind of bored with school, even in fourth grade. And um, mm -hmm. he had these like spelling baseball, uh, competitions and I was a pretty good speller. And so I would kind of clean up and I couldn't do anything on the athletic <laughs> field, but I could definitely do something with spelling. Um, but he also, you know, he put me in charge of like the AV, uh, equipment. So I was mm -hmm. the film strip person. 
And, you mm-hmm. know, he just, he, again, he took the time out to, to, to talk to me and check in with me. Um, he also suffered from Parkinson's and, um, he, you know, he had a tremor and, um, I remember, you know, asking him about that and him being very honest and being able to have that back and forth dialogue with those teachers, I think really kind of, you know, again, in hindsight, set the tone of this idea that there was someone there looking out for me, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I didn't, I feel like I didn't have that so much because I was kind of in charge of my sisters and we were, you know, busing across town and I was always in charge of all the decision making. And so I think that I really found some solace in like these two individuals for sure. Um, mm. And, you know, fast forward from there, like, I don't know, like 10 years. And I remember bumping into Mrs. Gertler at like a long drugstore or something. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and I was it was crazy. I recognized her immediately. Um, but here mm-hmm. I was, this is like 10, maybe even 15 years later. And I certainly didn't look the same. Um, mm-hmm. But she recognized me like mm. in the store. And she and she said, Sam Morris or whatever last name I was using at the time. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, but she... But the interesting thing was, is, you know, she asked how I was doing. And she also asked mm-hmm. about my best friend, Vicky, that I grew up with. And I just thought, mm-hmm. that's a real connection. You know, to identify me as a person was, you know, really made my day. But also the fact that she had this mm-hmm. other piece of my life that she remembered and she asked and she checked in on it. And so I, so great. you know, as a teacher, I this for myself, you know, I'm always trying to build connections with students to let them know that, there's someone there, right? And there's someone checking in on them. There's a concern, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, there's not this, you know, there's a built-in power differential. And what I try to do is I, like, I don't know, I think I consciously try to, like, lower that, you know, just kind of even that out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, so from there, um, so a great experience in elementary school. And then I moved uh, in with my grandparents out in uh, San Lorenzo. And I went to uh, Edendale uh, Middle School. Mm-hmm. Um, had a couple of great teachers. That was a really quick stint. I think that I was just trying, really just trying to adjust to being kind of moved away from, you know, my family. Um, I mean, I think of Mr. Miller, who was just great times. And again, someone who took a personal interest in me at at Edendale. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got to San Lorenzo High School and um, lots of great teachers there. I mean, definitely a standout is Pam Wilson, who Mm. is on many many students list and uh you know i'm connected mm-hmm. to a lot of al- alumni from san lorenzo and Ms. mrs wilson is a beloved member of our community and um yes. like before she was someone who was honest with me and i felt mm-hmm. really took the time to like build trust and she could tell me anything and i could tell her anything and mm-hmm. it wasn't you know we weren't equals and i knew that but i almost you know, I almost felt like we were definitely, you know, we were more equal than, I don't know, than the built-in, again, power differential there. I don't know. I just... Yeah, yeah. She was our very first guest, Pam Wilson. Um, Season one, episode one, because that's how important she was to my career. But I think the same thing of you as a student, you knew she was the boss, but she didn't like lord her authority over you know, she just was real. She was a real grown-up human that you could trust because you knew she was real. Right? I was, absolutely. And, you know, even when I think of my students, I mean, today, that's that's really the entree. It's really about being mm-hmm. honest with them and being vulnerable mm-hmm. and taking the risk for yourself 
Um, and I mm-hmm. feel like Mrs. Wilson was very, you know, very much that. And she, and like you said, she just was a real person. And I felt mm-hmm. like I could tell her anything and I trusted her. I think that was the biggest, you know, that was the biggest win. And I don't know, the biggest part of really kind of, as I think back of kind of forming who I want to be as a teacher, I think mm-hmm. Mrs. Wilson, in addition to like Mr. Egan and Mrs. Gertler, these are folks that I thought were real people. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. think they lived at the school, like students, mm-hmm. at school, but, but they were there. I remember, um, I remember, I remember Mrs. Wilson calling me at home one night and getting a phone call. Um, and I panicked a little bit. I, I, I was like, Oh my God, yeah. what is she calling me for? And um, she called me to ask me about um, a teacher's edition of uh, a book that she had um, that was taken from her desk. And so, <laughs> and, and so <laughs> I, you know, it's so funny to this day, I've never really asked her about that. And I still wonder, mm-hmm. and I could just ask her if she really thought that I took it or if she thought I yeah. had the inside track on who could have taken it. <laughs> and you know what? And the sad thing to say, and I guess funny thing to say is that it could have been either one. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because she knew who I, you know, I, I I think it was a pretty, I was a pretty good kid, but I, I could certainly be, you know, sneaky and, uh, you know, just, I could be a teenager. Um, sure, sure. But the fact that she called me directly, right? She didn't talk to my, mm-hmm. she didn't talk to my grandparents. She called me and spoke to me on the phone and asked me about it. You know, mm-hmm. she framed it in a way of, uh, you know, maybe I've known somebody that could have, you know, taken it, so. I'm going to, I'm going to rest it on that rather than her thinking. Yeah. Actually but for the record, I didn't, I had nothing to do with it. I had no idea about it. So I didn't do that. I would never do that. Um, yeah. But going back to the original thing, I, you know, we were saying is I, I think that, you know, these people really, again, inform who I am today as a teacher, really um, mm-hmm. about being honest and really just kind of mm-hmm. showing who I am to the students so they can feel safe. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. I don't know their backstories. I don't know what they're doing at home. I don't know what traumas are mm-hmm. going on or what they've been carrying mm-hmm. or what they're experiencing right now. And so I think, um, you know, all that put together is really kind of, again, you know, like I said, informed my teaching and hopefully made me a better teacher. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think, you know, I'm a career changer and, uh, you know, I had a pretty successful career in retail and people ask me why I became a teacher. And, and honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. I think part of it's like being the eldest sibling kind of had something to do with it. Always like being, mm. you know, taking care of my my sisters. I think the experiences in school for sure. Um, and I think um, I think my experience in college with uh, running an after school tutoring program for a community that I grew up in. Um, yeah, it was something for me to give back. And I just, I've always felt that in my bones is like trying to help others and help others. I can't talk. Um, uh-huh. and you know, teaching for me almost just happened kind of naturally once uh-huh. I figured out uh-huh. I needed to feed my soul. And I think selfishly, uh-huh. you know, I'll admit, I mean, I, I, I get something from this profession. Sure. From this commitment. Um, And I feel like when I'm not doing it, I'm just not myself. Does that make Mm. sense? Yeah. Tell me uh, what I heard in what you were saying when you were describing your growing up is this uh, the notion of the warm demander. 
right? You were loved. You were seen as a human. You were spoken to as if you were smart because you were. Uh, you were given the respect and the trust of them being honest with you. And all three of those people held you to high standards because you you could do it. And that feels like an important piece, that it's not just that you were loved and nurtured, but that it, part of the way you were loved and nurtured was demanding that you rise to your own excellence. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I I would I busted my butt for those teachers. And, you know, that puppet mm-hmm. show was like the best puppet show <laughs> ever the next day. And I and I and I remember staying up all night feverishly, like like writing that out um, and feeling mm-hmm. and, you know, I you know, you mentioned that it's this idea of having someone feel proud of you. Mm. Right. And so it's connected to the idea of like the high expectations for sure. Like I wanted, I wanted Mrs. Gurley to be proud of me. I wanted Mr. Egan to be proud of me. I wanted Mrs. Wilson to be proud of me. Um, mm. So yeah, it is that. And and so I think in addition to seeing who I was, um, I never felt like they were like lowering the bar for me at all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. I will say that, um, you know, you know, I, my junior year, I went off to independent studies and I w- kind of went rogue on the whole school thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that was that's a complete blur because there was really no one there. I mean, I was checking with the yeah. teacher once a week. And so yeah. I often think about that time and what that that year that was kind of removed, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how that could have impacted me. You know, I ended up coming back, um, my senior year, um, but never, it never really got traction. And, you know, I had other external things going on, um, in my life at that point is coming out, you know, my own identity Mm -hmm. issues. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I, I, I think that my, I think I got all P's when I graduated and because I just wasn't checked in because I didn't have anybody. No. And so it really yeah, kind of highlights yeah. the need to have someone there to kind of hold you accountable to, you know, see you as a person. Yeah. I wonder if, we're gonna, if we can go off script just for a second, because I think about how people perceived you as a sophomore in high school. You were outgoing and gregarious and you loved school and, you know, you were a little mischievous and scrappy and fun. And then all of a sudden you fell off the radar junior year. And I understood it because I was with you the whole time watching and experiencing some of that pain with you. I wonder what you would have your teachers know about what was behind all that gregarious exterior that maybe they could have helped or maybe not. Maybe there was nothing they could have done and, and you really needed to, to go that journey on your own. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this too, um, just in the car, um, especially like with the coming out because that was a big thing. And, and you know, in yeah. hindsight, I can look back and know that I've always been who I am. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't really have anybody to connect to on that. And while I trusted mm-hmm. teachers, I you know, I felt alone um, mm. in, in those moments. And and I think that my sophomore year, um, you know, from for all intents and purposes, I'm, I'm sure outside looking in, you know, or looking at that. Yeah, I was connected. I was class president. I was very engaged. Um, but I think it was a distraction for myself. 
Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And Keep so busy. totally my coping mechanism was that, you know, and, you know, some mm-hmm. people, you know, some people drink and some people, you know, whatever. And I think that was, you mm-hmm. know, that was a piece of it. Um, and, and I'm not sure, I don't know what the answer to the question, the answer to that question is about having to do it on your own. Um, part mm-hmm. of me says yes. Um, and part of me, it was just such a different time to be able to talk about like sexual orientation. And cause oh, I God, think, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was just a big thing and fitting into all the classic categories of students, you know, the, you know, mm-hmm. the breakfast club, another, another ode to Pam Wilson, um, mm-hmm. of kind of where you, <laughs> where you fit in, you know, and I never really fit yeah. into any of those categories. I it, you know, I don't know. It just, I wish there was somebody there that could actually have been a role model to mm-hmm. let me know that, um, you could be who you need, who you were. Um, mm-hmm. but that just wasn't available. I mean, I had guesses even about teachers and possibly, but, sure. but nothing really concrete. And I think that if I had, had somebody to kind of really, um, open up to, I don't know, who knows. Are you intentional about, um, really being clear about your identity with your students and really being that person to students who maybe like in your situation or kind of questioning or wondering or knowing, but not wanting to know, like, uh, do you lean in on any of that, your own experience and not having that to provide it for others now? Absolutely. I think in the beginning, when I first started teaching, I, I did, it was more of my own don't ask, don't tell, you know, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't lie. If someone asked me, mm-hmm. but what students can ask you? I mean, there's right. a couple, yeah. there, I mean, there, there have been a couple for sure. Um, and I love them for it. And those are hilarious <laughs> stories. Um, but I think that um, as I've gotten more comfortable, because I still, you're still carrying around all of that societal pressure of not coming out and yeah. not, I never had a role model for that. Right. So when no, I became a teacher, yeah. I was like, do I say it or what? Or, you know, so I went through, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of just, like I said, did a don't ask, don't tell. And then you know, I wish there was this moment that I could remember. Um, and actually, I do remember um, when I switched schools um, after six years at one high school in New York City, I went to a transfer high school, Westside High School. Um, and this was a school of, you know, of misfits. You know, that's kind of they were mm-hmm. thought of students who, you know, who were overaged, undercredited, failing out of more traditional high schools. And so I felt like I found my tribe and I could just, I could, mm-hmm. I needed to be me. And I remember having mm-hmm. a family group advisory. Um, and we did a, we did a, um, an activity called turning points. And um, many teachers know what this is, is these moments in your life that your, your trajectory changes and you share these really important pieces of your life. And I remember sitting there and I was making a turning points and it was really kind of G rated, you know, and I thought, and I sit mm-hmm. there and I thought, I can't do this. Like mm-hmm. I'm BSing these, you know, these kids, this is dumb. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I went for it and I talked about um, coming out. I also talked about um, uh, being diagnosed with HIV and I just, I really kind of bared my soul. And there was a couple, you know, I had, I had a couple of students in there that were, you know, they're pretty tough and, you know, they're, you know, part mm-hmm. of, you know, gangs in New York and, you know, they, they had their own issues going on. And I was a little, I got to say, I, I didn't know how that would play out. And there's a lot of homophobia yeah. and those kind of things. But they all stood up and clapped. Oh, God. I mean, after all that time of carrying that around, 
And all you had yeah. to do is just kind of expose yourself and have that moment. And I cried, of course, yeah. and I got teary eyed. Of course. And, 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 and it's so funny because that was my first year there and the administrators were always wondering why, why are your advisory kids always in your office at lunch? Because now they were all coming mm -hmm. to hang out with me. And so from mm -hmm. then on, I knew that I wasn't going to, I was going to be very proactive about that, announcing who I was, um, mm -hmm. mentioning Arthur um, in my home and mm -hmm. those kind of things and be a, hopefully a beacon for other students. Um, yeah. And um, I continue that today. I mean, I have the office with the um, LGBTQIA flag on the, on the window, mm -hmm. front and center. I have students mm -hmm. that come to me that aren't technically mine to come talk to me about mm -hmm. issues. So I think that piece of visibility is so important, um, mm -hmm. you know, to them and mm -hmm. hopefully to kind of, remove that, you know, try to like minimize that stress for, or, you know, that, that extra stress that they're carrying on that carrying with them that they can have someone to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it reminds me too of when you think about Mrs. Wilson and the first thing and most important thing you say is that she was a real person, right? That she allowed herself to be seen. And even if kids aren't gay, or even if they aren't trans, or even if they aren't, you know, whatever, they know you to be someone who is authentically you, which gives them permission to be authentically them. And I think particularly for our young men in our schools and our boys, they need to see men who are not boxed in and afraid. And I'm, I'm so grateful for our kids that they have you for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, you know, I mean, I think about this a lot, especially what we've done to our young men, um, certainly yeah. young women and, you know, and, and, and the, just the, um, enduring sexism that we deal with all the time. Um, mm -hmm. but also what we've done to our young men, um, that, you know, we've raised them to not be sissies or, you know, mm -hmm. to act like a man and, you know, all those mm -hmm. things, which I think have really damaged our young, our young men. Um, and mm -hmm. I, and, and I agree with you. I think that, um, I think it's important for our young men to see other men being vulnerable and, you know, people yeah. are there to help them and to let them see there's a different way. And I really do think the younger generation's got a better grasp on this than we certainly had. And things definitely are changing, but I think it's mm -hmm. not just by accident. I think it's folks out there and adults out there and people who care that are actually exposing themselves and, uh, yeah. you know, being there for them. Well, I just know from my own experience, raising two sons who adore you, and they adore you not only because I do, but because you are just this light of humanity that allows them to be who they are without judgment. And I'm so grateful that they know you, you know, and we don't even get to see you very much. But um, I just feel like I feel like that's one of your callings. You know, I feel like that's that's part of the reason that you're here. And I'm just so grateful for it. I'm getting a little weepy myself. I'm just, I just, I'm glad that, I'm glad that I can, it doesn't take any effort for me just to be me, you know, and to yeah. really see that and, and to see it helping others. I had another student, I just mentioned this one story really quick, uh, a student at uh, Westside High School, and he was very homophobic. And, and I remember another dean coming to me and saying, um, he doesn't really want to talk to you, right? Because he was always in the hallway, 
always in the hallway. And that is a big sign of what's wrong, you know? Yeah. I mean, as we all know. Um, and so, and I was a dean, you know, patrol, you know, on hallway duty. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'd always try to approach him and he would just turn around and walk away. And so I got this message from somebody who was connected with, like, he didn't want to talk to you. And I said, well, what's the problem? And so what he alluded to, um, this other, uh, teacher was, it was about my, my sexual orientation. And so this was a barrier for, for this student and I, and I really, really wanted to know more about him. Like I really, I really wanted to help him because I knew something was going, something was wrong. Um, mm-hmm. and so what I did is I never gave up on him. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, I, you know, I backed off a little bit, but I was always, you know, I changed my messaging to him. It was like, how can I help you? Is there anything I can help you with? You know, how are you doing? You know, and I just, you know, checked in and then I found out he needed to pass a math exam for his, um, GED. And, um, so I started to offer that. I said, listen, if you ever need help with the math, with the GED, let me know. And finally, Towards the end of the year, and we had almost gone through an entire year, I think it was May, he came to me into my office and introduced himself and said, you said you could help with math. And I said, absolutely, 100%. And so we sat down that day, and I think every day for like two weeks after school that he stayed with me, he ended up passing, um, which was great that he passed. But this idea that more importantly, that he actually sat there with me. And he had grown from the moment, you know, from earlier when he was just avoiding me in the hallway Um, because I was out. And so and he knew that. But that was a you know, that was a hurdle for him to get over. So what I was thinking was, you know, so often we take things personally when when a kid something happens. Right. You could have taken that personally and gotten angry. Like, how dare you treat me that way or blah, blah, blah. How come, how come that that's not your default? What is that conscious or is that just who you are as a human? I think that's just who I am as a human. I mean, there's been moments, listen, I, I'd be lying to say I haven't had those moments. Um, but it's, right. it's typically not who I am. Um, I, you know, I'm typically, um, um, I typically want to know about the students and I know mm-hmm. in order to do that, um, if, and I tell my students all the time is I lead with, uh, I lead with kindness. Um, and, um, what I find is when you lead with that, then you typically get that in return. Um, you know, I would stop every morning and stop every classroom and be like, Hey, good morning, everybody. And they're like, why are you always so happy? And that, you know, <laughs> but I would share them with that. You know, I would share that with them about that's just kind of who, who I want to be. Um, and who I strive to be. So I think in those moments, um, when I have any difficulty with a student, um, that I, I like to think that I normally kind of default to this idea of like, how can I help you rather than the, mm-hmm. the negative, like, don't do that. Or, you know, I kind of remove that mm-hmm. from my vocabulary, like, you know, but there's sometimes where I have to like, make sure that my, my head is set, you know, to that, to that feature, because, you know, it's not a hundred percent all the time. There are still, there are still those, there are still, there are still those, those students that can just really, you know, they could, you know, they, they can have a lot going on. They could get under your skin a little bit. For sure. For sure. What's the most important thing you feel like a student or a member of their family has taught you? Can you identify one or two? Um, You know, yeah, it it all connects to what we're talking about. It's just this idea of, um, of asking questions of your students and find out who they are. And I think of one of my students who 
my first year of teaching and he was all over the place. I mean, he was just out of his, out of his chair, out in the hallway. And I just, I, 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 I just wanted to, I just wanted to wring his neck. (laughs) Um, Not literally. Um, No. But he was really, it was really trying. I didn't know what to do. Um, I knew that he, you know, I knew that he had some special needs for sure. And, you know, we were dealing with some, you know, ADHD and things like that. And I was still kind of learning, you know, I was in school. Mm-hmm. I was actually going to grad school while I was teaching uh, for the mm-hmm. New York City Teaching Fellows. So I didn't know everything, um, I, which I still mm-hmm. don't know. But um, <laughs> um, but he um, he was very taxing <laughs> on the classroom, on mm. myself. And then I noticed one day that he came in and he sat in the back. And this was out of character for him. But I had paid attention to him because I knew his moves. Um, he sat in the back mm. and he had his head down. And he was like almost falling asleep. And so I went and sat next to him. And I was a t- two teachers in the classroom. So I had the luxury of being able to kind of go off to the side with him. And I sat with mm-hmm. him and I said, you know, I asked him what's going on. Like, you know, w- w- this is, you know, you seem like you're upset or tired or, and then he, um, he said that he was on this new medication and that mm. it made him, you know, it made him really tired and he didn't, and he didn't like it. And his mom made him take it today. And this was like connected to something I had reached out to mom to say, Hey, there's some things going on. Um, long story short, he uh, wrote me a note that night from his mom's email address um, and apologized mm-hmm. for, in his words, for always acting like clown um, mm. and that he has ADHD and he has a hard time staying focused and he needs something to do, but he hears everything that I, that I say. And he, mm. he wanted me to know that although he, you know, it manifests in him walking around the classroom and everything else that he pays attention to everything I say. Mm. And which was true because the, you know, he always aced his quizzes. And so he was paying attention the whole time. His body just needed to do something else to regulate itself. And so I ended up having the cleanest classroom in the whole school because I'd say, fine, here, you know, he wants, he likes to clean and he wanted to clean and Mm -hmm. he would clean around the room and do other things. Um, But it was in that moment that I knew that I had to really kind of clue into my students and ask more questions of them um, about Mm. what they needed. Mm-hmm. what they thought they needed um, rather mm-hmm. than me assume that I knew what they needed. And I think that mm-hmm. he taught me that and he and I are still friends. Um, and he mm. helped, he, he was one of the students that came and helped us move just this year. And so we have a lifelong friendship, he and I, um, and this is a student that no one else, you know, all the teachers in the teachers, you know, were gonna be like, Oh my goodness. And you have this kid, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, so that was one thing that was really important for me to, to, to learn. How do you feel like teaching has strengthened you as a human in other parts of your life outside of school? I, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that it's, um, helped me to like strengthen my relationships with others, um, to be Mm. a better listener. Mm. Um, it's reinforced the empathy that I have for others. Um, and so those, those same things that I, you know, that I, 
that I bring to my students, or I like to think that I bring to my students, that I try to bring to my students, I, you know, I try to bring those into my life as well, of being a mm-hmm. good listener, of asking folks how they are. But mm-hmm. more importantly, not just asking, but really kind of listening and trying to, you know, trying to f- find those connections um, mm-hmm. with others. Um, because, you know, as you know, um, you know, we all, we all connect, we're all connected. And so we just have to find out what those yeah. are. And I think once we do that, it builds a strong, solid relationship. And I think whether it be in the classroom or at work, but also in your personal life to really kind of hear others is really, really key. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. So, um, these last three questions we ask every guest on the show. And so we'll start with, um, my pals, the Indigo Girls, and the song uh, Hammer and a Nail. I don't know if you know that song, but the quote that I love out of it is, um, if you have a care in the world, you have a gift to give. And so I'm wondering, and I, and I think I can kind of guess based on the conversation we've had, but I'd love to hear you articulate it. When you think about schools, you know, people like to say that, oh, if you just did X, or if we just had more money, or if we just blah, 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 then everything would be fine. And really, we know how complex and nuanced the, the issue of schooling is for our kids and, and for us as teachers. And we all really need to bring our unique gift and like a puzzle piece and put it down on the table and sort it all out and figure out how it goes together to really intentionally create a community of learners and nurture that community of learners. So I'm wondering what you think your piece is. What do you care about so much that it's become your gift that you can lay down on the table and and really contribute to your community? Well, I think, I mean, yeah, we've been talking about it a lot. It's really, you know, I'm really, I'm really um, committed to this idea of community and, and, and uh, seeing others and being seen, right. And this idea that, Mm -hmm. um, it's really critical to lead again with kindness, but also, but also model it. And, and I think that that's the piece that's important. And we talked about earlier about being, you know, maybe even, even being like out, you know, just those, uh-huh. that, that piece of just being authentic and being, uh, being yourself and, 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 and modeling what that looks like for our students is, I think is, is, is a key to kind of, again, building a community. Um, and I also think this idea of accountability, um, especially when it comes to, like disciplinary issues and really rather mm-hmm. than writing students off, of really giving them the opportunity to kind of reflect on who they are. Right. That goes it, it's it actually goes hand in hand with this idea of asking how they're doing or what they need, because usually that's a you know, it's a symptom of something else. And and mm-hmm. I think this mm-hmm. idea of, um, you know, in our disciplinary piece is really kind of holding the students accountable for owning their peace in something, owning their peace in harm mm. or community. Um, but also the being able for them to, um, uh, to share the reasons behind their, you know, their actions or what they think, um, is mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. is really important, you know, and, um, a lot of students are just, you know, in a lot of schools, they're just written off, suspended or whatever, but there's really no piece of reconnecting them back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, mm-hmm. I think, I think that in, 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 you know, in addition to this idea of really kind of being visible and checking in with students, they go kind of hand in hand because we don't know mm-hmm. their stories. And I think their stories are important. So yeah, I guess to sum it up, 
is I want to know their stories. Mm. Mm-hmm. In service to helping them be good, the best learners they can be. To be the best learners, to be the best humans, to, yeah. to see their gifts, um, mm-hmm. to highlight them for them, to, mm-hmm. to praise them when you hear it. Um, because when you start to hear their stories, you, you see some of the massive hurdles that they've had to overcome. And mm-hmm. sometimes I don't think that they've heard enough about being able to achieve something over, you know, getting over those hurdles. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like, um, then you're, you have maybe three pieces in that being that are all connected. Like there's an authenticity piece. There's, um, a, a, a listening piece. And there's a, a connector piece that you want to reconnect them to the community and to the school so that they don't get lost, so that they have a home, so that they can learn how to thrive. And when I, and knowing your story as I do, those are the three things you needed as a student. And, um, and maybe the three things you got from those teachers that you mentioned. Well, that's a nice way to circle back around. You know too much mm-hmm. about me. That's the problem here. I know. I know. It's tricky. <laughs> but okay. So <laughs> go ahead. No, but it's true, right? It, it, these yeah. things don't go away, you know, and I was just talking about this mm-hmm. with uh, um, with Arthur the other day um, and this idea that these traumas don't leave us, mm-hmm. right? They inform who we become, right? And we can mm-hmm. use that to help others with those same issues or or, or, or not. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So uh, we we have a, a copy room conversations playlist. What what's the song you'd put on it for your? Do you have one? So you know, I thought about this question, you know, too, and um, I, you know, it's funny. I I don't listen to music uh, on my way to work, um, or hmm. it's really it's my downtime, my reflection time, and so mm-hmm. I, I might have news radio on um, now that I have a car for the first time in 15 years. Um, but it really, you know, sometimes I put my AirPods in just to kind of let the world know that I just need to be cut off from them. So on the subway, it happened. Yes. But there's no music. It was just my time to kind of reflect about my day. And I'm not sure if this is because mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not alone. Uh, there's not a lot of alone mm-hmm. time. And that's when I can really clear my thoughts out. Um, and so I think that that my, 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 my pump up really is to kind of think about all the things that one I need to get done, but also to think about the students who, um, who I'm eager to see or, you know, check in with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I start to list through the students that I need to meet that day. So no music. Mm-hmm. All right. Quick tip takeaway. We're in the copy room. I'm punching holes. You're at the machine. You finish up. You're about to go. What are you going to leave us? And it can be, it can be light or serious or funny or you know practical. What, what's your what's the takeaway that we can we can have from you as you exit the copy room? Two things. One, ask students how they are. Mm-hmm. Open with that, and how can I help you? Mm-hmm. The other thing is to make sure that you take time for you. Mm for yourself, to heal, to repair yourself, um, and to try, try your best to kind of keep those spheres separate (laughs) as much as possible. Yeah. Um, Because as you know, teaching does not end when the bell rings. Right. And I'm still right. and I'm still personally struggling with that of like putting those divides between my personal life and my work life. 
Um, uh-huh. And I think that's really, really key because if we don't, if we don't, if we don't heal ourselves and like rejuvenate ourselves and restore ourselves, then we are, um, we are, it's a little more difficult to help others that way. For sure. For sure. Thank you. Thank you for being our guest and joining us here. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you. I, I don't know. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm glad I can be here. And I just want to say that, you know, you were one of those people that, you know, I always saw teaching and, you know, you, you actually let me visit one of your classrooms, I think, when you were at, at San Lorenzo. And I just remember sitting there thinking, wow, look at, look at, look at her gift and, 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 and sharing with all these students. And I think that that also made a mark on me um, of wanting to really kind of, I don't know, be, be that person and, or, you know, be in service to the students in that way. So I thank you for that. Thank you for saying that. That's so sweet. Thank you for sharing your precious time with us. My hope is it gave you some respite from your worries and some time to remember that we belong to one another and that there's no such thing as other people's children. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. These three things make a big difference in our ability to connect teachers to one another in service to each other and our kids. We also want to thank Dirt Path Publishing for partnering with us on this podcast. The mission of Dirt Path is to publish work for social good. They are proud to include copy room conversations under that banner. For more information on coaching and editing services, or if you have a book you want to publish that you know will serve the greater good, visit dirtpathpublishing.com.